Hello, dear listener, and thank you for joining me for the very first episode of Chasing Energy. Today's guest is Shay Eskew, and we're going to talk about leveraging adversity. So if you are struggling with excuses, this is the podcast for you. Shay talks about a lot of different topics in, in terms of adversity, but specifically on incorporating grit into parenting, uh, why balance is a bit of a myth, incorporating training around your family's needs, including family trips that are built around races, overcoming limitations, and in his case, physical limitations that go back to a very young age. And you're gonna hear the entire story about how he experienced those and how he has managed to overcome them. And probably most importantly, how he has managed to leverage those to become a better person. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'm proud of it and I'm proud to share it with you. Thank you. Shay Eskew, how are you, buddy? Doing good, my brother. How about yourself? I'm doing wonderful, man. I'm doing wonderful. I'm so grateful to have you here today. I'm so grateful to help share your story with other people and your message with other people because you have a lot to say. And you practice what you preach. I know that because when we first met, which I think, because I just reread a passage in your book, I think it was 2013, the, the Knoxville Triathlon. Yes. And, and you came up to me afterwards in a completely unrelated city and you were asking me about the race and all that. And I, was, I finally looked at you and I said, man, how do you know who I am? And you said, oh, you still got your numbers tattooed on your arm. <laughs> <laughs> so What the Fire Ignited, that's your book. And it outlines not only your early age trauma, but how you have leveraged that and how you have developed a set of beliefs and how you live by those set of beliefs and how it's shaped you into the man that you are today and continues to shape you. And how you believe that things happen for a reason, and you choose to leverage those things that happen to build you into a better person, whether they're good or bad. Because one of the things that you say in your book is, you know, why did this happen to me? People say that when bad things happen, but when good things happen, they're less likely to say those things. And we, we're going we're gonna to start off by talking about some of the bad things that happened to you that you turned into good things. And we're going to get into your philosophies on life and parenting and certainly training. So, Shay, thank you for being here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the early age trauma that you experienced? Absolutely. You know, and Daniel, let me say, like, my whole intent is to share it's not to compare. I don't want people to think that anything that I went through is any harder or worse than what they're going through right now. Because one of the things I know is we all struggle, right? We all have faced a breaking point in life and thought we just couldn't go on. But somehow, by the grace of God, we find that strength to keep pushing forward. But for me, one of those days was August 4th, 1982, eight years old. And the previous day, I'd went to see a friend of mine. And when I came back to retrieve my bike out of her yard, my bike was covered in yellow jackets. She had an aggressive yellow jackets nest in her yard. And so on this particular day, my mom asked me to warn her about these aggressive yellow jackets. So I recruit my friend Jeff, who was seven, 
we walk across the street, we knock on the door, the dad's not home, but the 15-year-old daughter is. And as we proceed to tell her about this aggressive yellow jacket's nest, she asked us if we would help her get rid of them. Now I tell you this with the preface that I had the most conservative parents you've ever met. If there was any chance of anything bad ever happening, I wasn't allowed to be around it. My parents didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't cuss. I couldn't go to spend night parties, couldn't go to fireworks shows, couldn't jump on a trampoline, couldn't ride go-karts. Dude, you name it, right? Like they went to extreme efforts to protect me. And so as we walked to this yellow jacket's nest, we asked her, what is it you need us to do? She said, all I need is for you guys to stand right here. We're about 15 feet away from the nest, which is a hole in the ground. She walks up to the nest, she grabs a match, strikes it, throws it down. Now we all know a match in of itself does nothing. So as we're standing there watching these yellow jackets fly in and out, next thing we know, we feel something splashes. Hits me on the right side of my face and shoulder, hits my buddy on his left side and face, and hits that match. It's gasoline. Within an instant, our whole body's engulfed in flames. My first reaction is, oh my God, these yellow jackets are gonna sting me. So I run right across the street to my yard, stop, drop, and roll, put it out. And when I look up, I see my buddy Jeff standing there, screaming, engulfed in flames. I run back across the yard, grab a hose, and put him out. And I remember just standing there, alternating the hose to the top of our head. The water's coming down. Our whole body is burning from the inside out. So people always ask, you know, what did it feel like? I don't know if I can describe the immense pain radiating through our body, but we all at some point have burned our hand on a kitchen eye. Multiply that times 100, and that's your entire body. I remember touching my head. All of my hair came out. Our skin was blackened and charred, literally falling off of us. My clothes are melted to my body. And all I could think is, oh my God, what just happened? And it was in those three minutes that all this transpired that I realized my entire life trajectory was forever changed. As we soon learned, we had no insurance. The girl who set us on fire, the homeowner's insurance was denying liability. We were now saddled with a $2 million hospital bill. Needless to say, we did not have that in our savings. We were a very low to middle class family just struggling to make ends meet. Fortunately, the Shriners heard about us, the Shriners Hospital for Children. So they agreed to relocate my mother and I from Atlanta to Cincinnati. And that's where I would spend the next three months undergoing surgeries. And as things panned out, infection set in. They had to amputate my right ear due to gangrene. I lost three skin grafts to infection. My right arm was permanently melted to my body. It would take me three years to lift my arm over my head. I had to learn how to write left-handed just to finish the third grade. And when it was all said and done, they had taken all the skin off my right leg from my hip to my ankle all the way around. They took all the skin off from my left hip to my knee all the way around. They took a section eight by 11 off of my back. They took a section three by six out of my stomach, basically I got half a tummy tuck. And then they even took a section three by six off my buttocks. Now Daniel, you can imagine how uncomfortable I was to find out part of my buttocks was somewhere in my body. 
Now, strangely enough, every time my butt itches, I scratch my face, I start to wonder where they put it. <laughs> but this is just one of those things. I mean, I am now 30, I'm trying to do the math in my head, 38 years post that day. Mm -hmm. I've had about 35 plus surgeries as a result of it. And, you know, when it first happened, <clears throat> the original diagnosis was I'd never be competitive in sports again. As you can imagine, at eight, that's hard to handle. Anytime somebody tells you that you can never have something again, you instantly crave. Like if I said, Daniel, you can never have chocolate again. Just the fact I say it, you're not like, man, I am craving some chocolate. You know, I'd love it. And so for me, that was a motivator. Hearing at eight, I never play sports again. There's nothing I wanted more than to relay, reclaim my life as an athlete. And so I dedicated myself that once I got out of the hospital, I would spend every waking day focused on regaining my abilities. And fortunately for me, it's played out pretty well. Um, fast forward to today, been married 17 years, father of five, under 14, have a great career. And honestly, I think getting burned was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I, I really don't think I'd be here today if it wasn't for what I endured mm -hmm. as an eight-year-old boy. Yeah. That's a great, great story, Shay. Thank you, buddy. Most of it's true. <laughs> you say that multiple times in your book, by the way. Most of it's true. So this book, it started as a, sort of a, a prod from one of your mentors, right? You it, met with him? It's interesting. You know, I'm a big believer, Daniel, that... People are placed in our life at a specific time with a purpose. Call it coincidence. I tend to believe it's more divine intervention. But in, you know, uh, that was 2017, I had reached a point in my career where I was ready for a leadership role. I was done being an individual contributor, had a great career in sales, but I wanted the next challenge, right? And when I approached my CEO of the company, there just wasn't a fit for me at that company, but they felt I was making a mistake. And they said, look, before you quit, we think you ought to speak to this guy, Jack Daly. This guy is a 10 time Ironman army captain. He's done 95 marathons on all seven continents. I think he's going to tell you you're making a mistake. So I reached out to him. I'd already turned in my notice, so I reached out to him anyway. I was like, you know what? I looked him up, pretty impressive guy. Let me get in front of him. And he responded to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, look, I see you live in Atlanta. Of course, I actually live in Nashville, but I still have my Atlanta phone number. He goes, I'm actually speaking there month. Let's grab dinner. So I drove down just to have dinner with this guy. As we were sitting down and we went through all the formalities, right, when you meet a stranger, and he finally said, Shay, Cut to the chase. Why are we here tonight? Like, what are you hoping to gain from it? I said, honestly, Jack, my CEO was hoping you would taught me out of doing what I've already done. I've quit my sales job to pursue a leadership role. And as Jack and I started talking, he said, look, you absolutely made the right decision. I'm wired just like you. You're bored. You mastered that. You're ready for the next challenge. He goes, the bigger question I have for you is, when are you writing your dang book? 
I said, Jack, I've got five kids. I'm training 15 to 17 hours a week. I'm traveling for work. I can't figure out what I can give up to make it happen. And he said, that's crap. Those are all excuses. I've written three bestsellers. I'm just as busy as you. He goes, if you're serious, I can make it happen. He goes, here's what's going to happen when we leave this dinner. I'm going to do an introduction email to Annie Whittle. He's the owner of Advantage Books. You're going to respond to him and say, you're interested. Here's how much it's going to cost you. In eight months, you're going to have a bestseller. And I'm one of those guys, like, when somebody hits that button, yeah. it's on, right? Like, you just caught me. You challenged me. Game yeah. on. And it's not just that he challenged you. He showed that he believed in you. Exactly. But yeah. that's what I needed was somebody to really challenge my belief that I was too busy, right? We always say that. Yeah, I don't care who it is. We always say we're too busy. But are we really? So I called my wife on the way home from the dinner. I said, hey, babe. Guess what? I'm writing my book. She goes, what are you talking about? We, you haven't mentioned writing your book. I said, well, I just had this amazing dinner. I really think this is a God thing. I'm going to do it. She goes, can we afford to do it? I said, we can't afford not to do it. And I said, babe, it's going to happen. I said, are you with me? She goes, of course, I'm always with you. But you've obviously already made your mind up. Uh, so that was it. Fast forward eight months later, book's done, Amazon bestseller. And honestly, it was one of the best things I've done in a long time. Because Daniel, mm -hmm. I believe, as I said earlier, we all have a story, right? We're all facing obstacles, whether it's mental, physical, spiritual, financial. But we owe it to our kids, the next generation, to share how we embrace these obstacles. That's right. Right? That's a natural part of life. Like. When people say life's not fair, I said, if anybody told you it was, they lied to you. That's the worst thing you could ever tell somebody yeah. is life is fair. Being the smartest, the best, always doing right, doesn't mean you're always going to come out on top. In the long term, you're going to win. But short term, you may endure a lot of obstacles. You may have to make a lot of sacrifices. And that's one of the things I wanted to do was to share my story with my kids, but also children around the world that look struggle is natural right just because you don't see it every day people are struggling and just embrace that that's part of a normal everyday thing and when you get through it you're going to come out a better person and then eventually you're going to say look god i can handle anything whatever you throw my way i know you're going to get me through it i'm ready bring it right that's right the the it's very much the hero's journey right when you've tasted what's what's been referred to as the belly of the beast, when you are in the belly of the beast and you emerge, it's after that point in life where you've sort of been baptized in the in the pain or the challenge. And from there, if if your perception of, of challenges is brings you purpose. Yeah. And it, when you learn to make that interpretation instead of why me, uh, and, and you say things like why not me? Or, I, you know, I'm grateful that it's me because I know I can handle it. And there's a big difference there when you're younger, and I'm generalizing here, but when you're younger, it's about being happy. You want to be happy. And challenges don't make you happy. 
Challenges, when you address them, they make you a fulfilled person. Fulfilled is an older man's game because when you have five boys or girls and, and kids running around the house, that's a challenge that's fulfilling. It's not, it's not always happy, yep. but it's fulfilling. You come home at the end of the day and you go, look, this wasn't a happy day for me, but I feel fulfilled because I did my duty. And that's the thing. Like, you know, I try to teach my kids. It's when we endure hard things that the greatest reward comes. Like when we go hiking, it's not very exciting walking around in the parking lot. There's not a whole lot to see there. And even the whole way up a mountain, there's a lot of doubt and uncertainty creeping in. And just when they're getting ready to quit, you say, just one more mile. That's right. Right? Just one more one, mile. I don't we, even use miles. I say, just to the top of that part you can see right there. Yeah. Then we'll talk about it. And then when we get to the top, I look out and say, can you imagine if you quit? How mad would you be? Yeah, what? and and, it, and and to twist what you're saying there, um, can you imagine if you'd driven to the top of the mountain and then just got the view and went back to your car? Yeah. Can you imagine how much you've robbed yourself that, that perception yeah. of? And so I always remind my kids, look, just know we will never take the easy way, right? Yeah. You will seek out hard things because it's been wired in your genetics. This is what we do. But this is why we will live a fulfilling life. Yeah. And that's one of the things, like when you, especially when you talk to adults and we start sitting around the campfire telling, remember when. It's never stories like, yeah, <laughs> things just landed in my lap. Man, that was so easy. I didn't have to do anything. It's always, I was hiking up the hill both ways in the snow barefoot. You know, those kind of stories. Because that's what brings us true joy is when we sacrificed and went through something hard and we got through it. Right? Like, how many stories have we told about barely making ends meet as a couple starting out? Yeah. Right? And you look back, but those are the most challenging, I mean, rewarding times in life. And it's just like, you know, as a parent, if anybody told you how hard it would be raising kids, like truly laid out everything that you would go through, mm -hmm. you would never do it. But once you've been through it, you can't imagine not having gone through it, right? That's I mean, it's right. Like, I would gladly do it all again. Obviously, you know, we're five deep into that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's what makes it so awesome is because it is so challenging. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that in the, the mentor sort of puts in your introduction is how grit is forged daily. Okay, and this is, uh, this is a very powerful word, grit, and it's gotten a lot of buzz over the last 10 years uh, due, due to the, the book. And, um, but I want to ask you, how do you leverage when you, first of all, how do you develop your grit? Like, do you, do you find yourself saying, um, I'm losing my edge, how do I maintain my edge? You know, what keeps you from getting too comfortable? And then number two, the follow-up to that question is, is, how do you find yourself leveraging that same mindset in your workplace? Yeah, so number one, like what do I do to develop grit and maintain it? To me, it all starts with having a schedule. So I get up every morning at 4.30. Yeah. I can tell you like this morning, I was up late with the kids, didn't get in bed till 11. Got up at, and I still got up at 4.30 and did my three hour workout. 
I could have easily slept in an extra 30 minutes, hour. I don't hit snooze because I remind myself if I'm willing to do what 99% of the world isn't willing to do, I'm going to live like the 1%, right? And so I constantly seek out things like that. For instance, in Nashville, 2012, hottest day on record in Nashville. It was, I think, 107, 108 that day in the middle of the summer. So I put on thermals, top and bottom, sweatshirt, toboggan, and gloves, and went for a run. It was absolutely miserable. Like, I didn't think I was going to make it home. But those are things you kind of seek out. Like, what can I do to prove to myself I will always do what it takes? You know, and I, one of the things, Daniel, for me, I've done over, gosh, 70, 75 triathlons now. Mm-hmm. I've had to personally run six feet barefoot pushing my bike in 42-degree weather in one of the races to cross the finish line. And to me, just of having the satisfaction to say, no matter how hard it gets in a race or in life, I will always do what it takes to get across the finish line. You can't take that away, right? Like, you know that you've always got whatever it takes to get through. Yeah, and you can't be given it either, Yeah. Right? Um, you know, like I travel for work a lot. I used to travel two to three days a week pre-COVID. And it was not uncommon for me to leave the house at 4.30, 5 in the morning, get home 7 o'clock at night. You know, I'd fly somewhere, take somebody dinner, fly home. And as I put the kids to bed, I'm sitting there saying, look, I didn't get my run in today. You know, one of these nights in particular, I had a 15-mile run I was supposed to do that day. And I very easily could have skipped it. I've got enough base fitness that I can skip a day. It's not Mm going to hurt me physically. But I went downstairs in the pain cave, got on my treadmill, and did a 15-mile run. And again, I didn't do it for the physical fitness. I did it for the mental fitness. I did it so that I know deep in a race when I'm hurting and I'm struggling, I'm going to think back to those times when I could have easily went to bed and said, look, you've trained your whole life for this right? This is why you're going to come out on top because you've intentionally put yourself in uncomfortable situations to get comfortable. You're used to struggling. You know this is the natural course. Don't fight it. Embrace it. Uh, So those are the kind of things I do on a normal basis. And then like with our kids, we love to kind of torture each other. I know you've seen some of the stuff on Facebook, but we play freeze out. So when it's below freezing degree weather, we put all the windows down in the car and see who can go the longest. And you say we, but your wife's not in the car when you do that. She is. She is not very happy. Uh, <laughs> neither is my mother-in-law. Uh, but I told them they don't get a vote. It's up to me and the kids. And so my six-year-old is the first one to say, Daddy, let's play freeze out. You know, we do things on Friday nights. So we go have Mexican. Every Friday is what we've done for 12 years. And then we stop at the end of our street. It's about a quarter mile long. We make the kids get out and run home. And they love it. Like, they race home. And this is just part of a tradition that we, a normal family could easily just, everybody rides together and you pull in the garage. Yeah. And when friends come to see us, kids, they have to get out of the van and run home too. Because the rules are, once you get out, you can't get back in. I don't care what your situation is, you are not getting back in the van. And then you talk about what am I doing in business, right, to maintain the grit? And what? Mm-hmm. 
To me, it's doing things that people aren't willing to do. Like, I'm a big fan. I do cold calls. When I say cold calls, like, I just drop in to see people. I know that's a dying art. People are like, why would you ever do that? Because nobody else does. I have no problem stopping and picking up some cupcakes, dropping in to see a prospective customer, telling them I was up all night making my grandma's secret recipe cupcakes. Mm -hmm. I hope they like them. If not, please lie to me because my grandmother will be upset. But it's those kind of things, right? Like you just take a very awkward situation, inject some humor, and it makes you stand out. Nobody else is doing that kind of stuff. And so those are yeah. the kind of things that I seek to do out when I'm in business, when I travel for work, on like when I'm on vacation sometimes, I bring home unique souvenirs to mail to people. Like when I was in Australia, I bought hand-painted boomerangs and would mail to people and say, hey, look, we're down in the outback and thought you might enjoy this. So those are things that just kind of stand out. Like, who does that? Yeah. Um, and when COVID hit, I spent a lot of time doing videos. Like, I was not a big fan of doing my own videos. As you know, it's, it's awkward talking to a camera with nobody there. Like, yeah. I'm happy to do this one-on-one -on -one interaction. Mm -hmm. But I told myself this will pay long-term dividends if I get comfortable doing these kind of videos. And surprisingly, six months later, people start calling me to do motivational virtual speaking. Absolutely. And had I not been practicing doing those videos on my own, these little three-minute motivational videos, I never would have been comfortable giving a one-hour keynote virtually. Because, man, it's hard when nobody can interact with you. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a, a And you don't get that energy from the crowd. and Yeah. Like, I love seeing the expressions on people's faces. You hear the ooze, the ahs, and, you know, you feed off of that. So... One of the comments you have in your book that sums up what you just said, which was, after a lifetime of overcoming unfathomable situations, my success can be boiled down to three strategies. Training my brain, shaping my reality, and doing the daily things. And I think you gave me pretty good examples of each of those, so I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, that's it. I want to highlight... You know, balance is a word that gets thrown around a lot, and I would, I would certainly argue that if some part of your life is not out of balance um, for the most part, then you're not growing. So you gotta, you've got your work, you've got your health, you've got your spiritual life, you've got your family life. And, and if you're going to grow in any of those, you've got to have to have a crutch a little bit on those. This, this idea that things are perfectly symmetrical all the time is, is, is kind of, I think, over-idealized. But we talk about uh, Ironman training right? And that is one of the most time intensive sports there is. Um, I, I was, I did Ironman. I did, I'm an ultra runner. And I would even say Ironman actually has more time because it is, is a lower impact sport than, than ultra running because you, the bike's a little more ergonomic. So you actually train more. But what I want to talk to you about is the dark side of, um, overdoing the edge and how do you keep from going to that dark side and you know what i mean because in the book which i had read that book iron fit by the way but uh he talks about you don't want to have an iron widow right yeah so talk to me a little bit about um how you pitch your schedule with your wife to where everybody's on board yeah i think that's a great thing to talk about because number one i don't believe in balance 
I think on a, on a yearly basis, yes, you can be in balance. But just with the ebbs and flow of life, sometimes work demands more time, sometimes your family demands more time, sometimes your personal fitness does. And so as long as I think on a yearly basis you're in balance, then I'm happy, right? But, you know, one of the things that I read in the book Be Iron Fit by Don Fink, he talks about the importance. When you start down this path, especially Iron Man, share it with your spouse. Walk them through and say, look, here's my 30-week plan. Yeah. What about this scares you? And so I, when I did that with probably Paul, Probably no small coincidence that, um, that that's a little bit of an approach you use in your sales life too, right? What about, <laughs> exactly. what about this scares you? But go ahead. And so I asked my wife, I said, love, a lot of this is for me. I'm just being honest, right? There's a lot about this. It's very selfish that you're not getting any – all the benefits that I'm getting out of it. Mm-hmm. With this time commitment, what do you want in return? Like, I want to fill your bucket too. She said, I need two days breakfast in bed. And so now it's been 12 years. She has had breakfast in bed two days a week since then. Mm-hmm. And that was easy. I was like, that's it? Do you, do you tell her, my grandma gave me the recipe for these cupcakes? I hope you like <laughs> It was actually her grandmother, so we follow her recipe. But, and so now I've trained my kids right now with my supervision to make the pancakes. Eventually, yeah. we're going to get it where they can kind of... I love it. She didn't say dad had to make them. She just said, I want breakfast two days a week in bed. And so we're getting there. Um, but that was key, right? And so one of the things we've done, too, is we do a destination race every year. That's right, yeah. And that's been huge, like taking my wife to Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. You know, we were in Nice a year ago, September. These are amazing places. Uh, And so to kind of make it fun, right, and we take the kids on most of these, not all of them, but most of them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it's about is to teach, you know, for me it's teaching my kids, look, having fun and traveling is not mutually exclusive from being in shape. Yeah. So I took all my kids to the race I did in Edinburgh, Scotland, and having all five of my kids cheering me on in the run, man, it was amazing. Like I ran by and I'm giving them high fives, and they're like, "Daddy, hurry up! You need to catch him. You're you're slow. Speed up, Dad." You know, they never say, "Dad, you're killing it." It's always faster, faster. And you, I didn't realize the impact until two months later. My son did a project at school and I've got it in my pain cave it's a poster he made and it says have you ever been to Scotland I have I watched my dad do Ironman there and he talks about watching me sweating so hard racing and he's talking about how happy it was to give me high fives and that's when you know you're having an impact because one of the things I think parents fall short on is we love the tell our kids what to do, but it's more impactful if we show them what to do, right? Like, I don't want to tell my kids to work out. They know, hey, look, dad's been working out an hour and a half before I get up. You know, hopefully they see the way we eat and say, look, I want to be a healthy eater. You know, there's things that they just pick up on more by watching than they do you telling them. So, so to elaborate on that, you don't you don't schedule any type of workouts with your you don't ever tell your kids you have to come down here and do some push ups or jumping jacks. I don't make them; I invite them, and so we do contest, right? Okay. 
You're you're better than me, Shay. Because yeah. I'm I'm I tend to be a little more uh, dictator of a dictator, but I'm well, learning here. I'm learning. But we but we do contests to say, hey, look, because it never feels like somebody says, Dad, can we get ice cream, Mike? All right, we're gonna do a plank challenge. If you guys can do three minutes of planks, if anybody drops, we start over. Right? It's things like that. Yeah. They have to earn it. Uh, just like we did a plank challenge. If you said the word um, "I hate," you had to do a one-minute plank. You know, there's quick ways to kind of remove. Uh, yeah, at two minutes, if you use the word "I can't." Yeah. Um, but you'd be amazed, like my, especially my younger ones. Hey, Dad's gonna do a workout. Do you guys want to come down here? And so they love it. Uh, the older ones, it's a little more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're too cool for Dad. Mm-hmm. And so I try to make it more about a challenge saying, look, I get it. It's too hard. You probably just can't do it. When I was your age, I would have never tried something like this. So it's not even worth you trying. Good old reverse psychology there. <laughs> so let's talk about, you've, you've had some, you were, you were highlighting some of the races you've been to. And of course, the, the World Series of, of Ironman is Kona, right? Absolutely. And you took on a pretty amazing route to get into Kona, and you had to get a lot of votes. Uh, I'll, I'll skip to the chase a little bit here and say there was a particular musician in Nashville who was on your kid's softball team and was able to really give you a push. You want to mention that? Yeah, so we were fortunate. A friend of mine was coaching a t-ball team, and I had already reached out to him saying, look, I was looking to get some lessons for my son. He's like, why don't you just have your son join our team? I said, sure, why not? So just so happens, again, that's the way things work in Nashville. On the team was Cheryl Crow, Brad Paisley, and Scott Hamilton. And so when I started this contest that Iron Man had, it's called Kona Inspired. You had to say in one minute why, why, why you are deserving of competing in Kona. What is your story? And it's based on nationwide voting. So I made the video and all of a sudden I get a text when I'm at a healthcare conference that says, hey Shay, this is Cheryl Crow. I'm gonna help you get to Kona. I'm gonna connect you to my social media guy. We're gonna make this happen. And again, I never wanted to ask her for help. I just hate asking for help. But then when she sent that text, I was like, all right, this is kind of a divine thing. This is, it's it, right? And so I wind up winning. I was one of the three picked to go to Kona. And then I said, look, I don't want to waste this opportunity. Like you said, it's the World Series. And so I said, I'm going to do everything I can to compete at the highest level. And so one of the things, Daniel, I mentioned in the book, you know about it. It's I can't sweat on a third of my body. The other two-thirds, I can't stop sweating. So generally, if it's about 80 to 85 outside, I suffer from severe dehydration. Uh, going into Kona, I'd already raced through a desert, was urinating blood before I started the marathon. Like, that's pretty common for me. It's urinating blood during the marathon. I knew that was something I wanted to try to avoid in Kona if I was going to have a good race. So I engaged a dietitian, and so I spent five months weighing myself five times a day. Every morning when I woke up, yeah. before a workout, after I measured every ounce of water going in and out of my body, 
and was able to calculate that I sweat five pounds an hour for 10 hours straight. And so in order to remedy that, I had to consume 1.5 liters an hour for 10 hours straight if I wanted to be competitive at Kona. And so that's what I did. I spent the next, you know, four months executing, had a great race, and truly felt um, this was like a life dream came to full fruition. You know, and it's all because it started with identifying what you wanted, asking others to help you along the way, and then doing the hard work. Doing the hard work, very key point there. And so I want to lead into one of my questions for people, and that is simple rules. And I know that you're, even if you've never used this verbiage, you're a big fan of simple rules. But an example of simple rules is ways that you keep yourself from getting involved in distractions. And because I know you talk about saying no to goal distractions, right? Absolutely. And, And we know that there has never been a time in the history of man where it's easier to be, be, be distracted. Yep. It is only one hand away is, is something that's going to distract you, give you a little dopamine hit from doing anything meaningful. So what I want to ask you is, what are some of the simple rules that you use that keep you on track from being, uh, get, losing your edge? How do you, you know, this podcast is, is about sharing stories, tools, and insights to enhance your vitality. What are the simple rules that Shay uses to ensure that your energy is, is on par with a world-class performer? So, you know, the, I think one of the biggest ones is writing your goals down. Mm-hmm. And I have it written in my pain cave on a big whiteboard. And this is for personal business, you know, and health. And I have it there, so I'm reminded every morning when I get up what I'm focused on. I see it every night before I go to bed. My wife and kids see it, so they know what I'm focused on. And so when I'm presented with things, I keep saying, all right, I look at my goals. Is this in alignment with my goals? Is this going to help me achieve them? If not, I can't do it. It's not because I don't want to, but I know I can't do everything. My time is very limited. So when the boys call, you know, my fraternity brother and say, hey, man, let's grab a beer tonight. As much as I'd love to, brother, I, I can't, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's also mapping out your days, what they look like. You know, the things that matter the most, try to do those early in the morning. So I'm very ritualistic. I get up every morning at 4.30, make a cup of coffee with an extra shot in it. I eat two frozen blueberry waffles. I read for 20 minutes. It's always something inspirational, motivational, Mm -hmm. then I'll fire emails away for 10 to 15 minutes because I want people to know, look, I'm up starting my day while you're sleeping. I want to be the first email in your inbox. By the time you respond to it, I'm already done with my workout. And then I get my workout in, and then my kids are up, drop them off at school, and the day starts. And so one of the rules I made, too, with my wife is my workouts will never interfere with family time. If I don't get it done in the morning, that's it, right? I either get it done when they go to bed, but I'm not skipping out on our family dinner or cutting out from family time during the day to get a workout in. And I think that's the key is in life, you got to be able to realize what I'm willing to sacrifice, but also more importantly, what I'm not willing to sacrifice. That's right. Like 
I'm not willing to give up being a dad and a husband to be better at my job or in, you know, triathlon. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not my end game. You know, I want to be as good as I can professionally, but not to the detriment of being a father and a husband. And that's one of the things that I see so many people become so singularly focused. They lose sight of what really means something to me. Like, it doesn't matter if you're number one in the world, if you're standing on the podium by yourself and you have nobody to celebrate with you. That's right. Um, you know, I spoke with Tim O'Donnell, professional triathlete, extremely successful. And so I asked him the question, what is your advice to age group athletes who want to be competitive in triathlon, trying to balance it with family? He said, my recommendation is to be 80% fit and 100% happy than 100% fit and 80% happy. And I think that's what really comes down to is don't think by cheating the quality time with your family it's going to help your race game and make you happier. Yeah, so let's talk about that for one second. That's a false dichotomy that people have, which is, well, I can't be in shape and be a good dad, right? I mean, that's just, I, I, I'm committed to my family. I don't have time to, to, to be basically take, you know, doing the ego, pursuing my ego. And any time that you ask someone like that, well, tell me about your day. Well, tell me about, tell me about what your time is. I can't tell you how many times someone goes, well, you know, to, first of all, I say, well, what did you do yesterday? Not, don't tell me about your, your, what you consider your average day to be. Because if you say, what did you do yesterday? That sort of locks them down, right? And they'll say, well, you know, I did this. I watched American Idol. I did that. I'm like, okay, I can go ahead and tell you we can crop a few hours right there. And to be in good shape, now I'm not talking Iron Man shape here, but to be in good shape, you need 45 minutes a day, yep. provided you're eating reasonably. 45 minutes a day is going to keep you in good shape. You probably won't do an Ironman, but you'd be able to do some amazing things if you commit 45 minutes a day to yourself. And I, I, the reason I highlight that, Shay, is because you live by the greed. I mean, you've, you've got five kids, and you're doing these extreme endurance events. And yeah, there's times where, you know, like you said, you have to be wise about what fits and doesn't fit. And I tell you, I'm not always the most popular person, by the way. When, uh, when I'm in training mode and someone's like, hey, I, I've got, we're going out to this restaurant tonight and we're all going to meet there, especially when they say we're going to get started around 8 or 9 o'clock. Oh. And I go, not going to happen. My brother, um, God bless him. Whenever he comes to see me, he likes to go out on the town. And he starts at about 9. And I always tell him, I'll meet you till 9.30. And then I yep. pull the plug. 100%. And, and well, w- w- there's multiple reasons for that. Um, one is, I know it's not worth, worth it to mess up my sleep cycle and my training at, to stay out a little later. And number two is, nothing good ever happens after 10 o'clock at night. Nothing. Three. Three. <laughs> Every all the all the mistakes we see in the news generally happen after nine or ten o'clock at night, right? So, and I echo your comment on when you start asking people, "What does your day look like?" Because, mm-hmm. like I tell them, I said, I don't know too many people that are playing with their kids at four thirty, five thirty, even six in the morning. And your phone's ringing off the hook too, right? Because I had a former boss years ago. He thought I was training too much. He said, Shay, if you'd spend that time calling clients, 
I said, you know what, you're right. Starting tomorrow, I'm gonna call everybody between 4.30 and 6.30 in the morning. And I'm gonna track how many people talk to me and we get a sale. Yeah. What do you think, does that sound good? And of course he's like, oh. and of course at that lunch, this prospective client was like, you do Iron Man? Tell me about that. Like, that is so awesome. I can't imagine doing it. And so I walked them through it because I truly believe everybody can do it. If you stand at that finish line and you watch these people finish, I promise you, you'll walk away and you'll say, if they can do it, I can yeah. do it. And it and all comes down to just the commitment. Just the commitment. And I, and I want to highlight a couple things on your statement there. Number one is, uh, we... You you were you were real good about posting the updates on this. The first downs person uh, finished an Ironman was about six months ago. Yep, that's a pretty amazing feat. Uh, but when we think about people who uh, are Ironmen, they have a picture in their mind, right, of this uh, really tan, uh, super fit person, and and there those people are at the front. Okay, but you take away the front quarter. And, and I'm stretching it to say a quarter, but the front quarter of finishers in an Ironman, you stay out there at that and start looking at those people that come in trying to beat the clock, and people would be shocked at how these people look yes. or, or the age they are, but they're determined. 100%. They're determined. And what I've learned to respect about that is I say to myself, these are people, and you, you use this comment in your book about when you start something, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna quit. That with the way like you said, when you get out of the car with the kids, you go, you don't get back in the car. And turning your back, this is the this is the beauty of by the way of being an ultra runner. We don't have um a lot of times you don't have aid stations for hours. So you know when you leave an aid station <laughs> that's your at two in the morning, you're not gonna see anyone else till five o'clock in the morning. And you think to yourself, if the sun's coming up I'm gonna be okay. Yep. So the point is, when you cut off that, that lifeline behind you, you get your second wind. You're like, okay, there's no way out now. I've got this. And I respect that you, know, you had these Ironman competitors who are not in the best of shape, but they're committed. They're like, no, I said I was going to do this. I'm going to do this, and I'm not stopping. And, and, and who knows, like you said, we're not judging their story. Some of these people who are 50 pounds overweight have lost 50 pounds to be only 50 pounds overweight and be yes. honest, right? And that's the thing, Daniel, is, you know, there's a guy, Raj, I've met out there racing, triple amputee. And what I love about Ironman, like they don't care what your physical or mental challenge is. Everybody has the same cutoffs, the same rules yeah. apply. There's no yeah. special time yep. considerations. And so imagine you've only got one arm and you're swimming two and a half miles. He's and then he they physically carry him out of the water and set him down for him to attach his legs to do the bike, 112 yeah. miles. And then he runs a marathon. So that's why when people start telling me, Well, I can't do it, and they say, Well, I'm too old. I was like, Really? So Sister Madonna Buter, 83. I don't think you're 83. Oh, you got bad knees. Well, what about Raj? He has no knees, right? Like I get I've been getting synthetic cartilage injections for 13 years now. I get it, you know? It's not always easy, but I promise you, I can get your butt across the finish line if you're willing to do the work. And that's the thing is everybody has excuses. And so we just gotta remove them. 
right? Just slowly start removing all these excuses on why you can. And if you would spend time answering the questions for yourself, why can't I, as opposed to saying, I can't, right? That's right. If you start saying, look, what do you got to do to be able to do it? And they're like, okay, I, yeah, I can do that. Because one of the things that's interesting when you start talking about just Iron Man in general, because again, it's something I can relate to. It's people say, I can't do it. I said, really? I'll tell you what, if we meet tomorrow, can you do a run walk for 20 minutes? Again, we're not judging on speed. Can you run walk for 20 minutes? I said, absolutely. What about the next day? Can you ride a bike for 45 minutes? We're not judging on speed. Can you ride a bike for 45 minutes? Well, yeah, who can? I said, well, congratulations. In 30 weeks of this progressive building, you're an Ironman. But now you told me you couldn't do it. But when I laid out the daily things that you need to do, you said you could do it. And that's the problem in life in general. People get so fixated on the end destination, they can't figure out how you do it. So they don't even start it. They've never tried it. But they're convinced they can't do it. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's part of being an older person now, but it always seems like people are when 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 you give them a story or when they see a success, they the first thing they think is, well, how do I skip the struggle? <laughs> and you keep you you want to tell them, don't you understand? It's worthless if you don't have the struggle. Yeah, no struggle means no story, and no story means nobody cares about it. Yeah, right. And it, it's like you said about sitting around the fire. If you just luck into things, people are kind of like, you know, you've robbed yourself of an opportunity, man, because now you don't care about it, whatever it was you got, right? But I can tell you, like me personally, anytime something bad happens, my mind immediately shifts to, this is going to be an amazing story, right? All the times I've screwed up our family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Getting, you know, buying airfare for the wrong month. I was like, man, this is going to be an amazing story, you know. And if you just keep that in mind when you're going through something, just say, hey, once I get through it, not if, but once I get through it, this is going to be an amazing story. And your book is full of amazing stories. You've, you've had a very adventurous life. And uh, I, I, we don't have time to talk about it today, but one of the things I enjoyed was how, your time in the wilderness and, you know, uh, tracking the bears and things of that nature. Lessons, leverages, and shifts from the pandemic. Um, one thing I want to highlight here, we talked about it a few, about a month ago, but I noticed on your uh, LinkedIn you talked about it. Your choice of braces, and this is a good example of using simple rules to protect yourself from yourself, right? So why don't you tell us why you chose those braces? Oh, talking about on my teeth braces? Yeah. So today I posted a story just talking about, you know, in life... There's things that we complain about. We have the ability to fix them, but again, we don't want that struggle. We don't want being uncomfortable. And for me, you know, 46, about to be 47, I caught myself the past few months saying, I wish my teeth were straight again. I lost my retainer several years ago. And at first didn't notice, but as time went on, my teeth started moving. And then I told myself, what kind of life am I living? If I'm gonna sit here and complain about my teeth and not fix them. So I got braces again for my third time. I've, I'm wearing braces. And I can tell you, I'm not excited about it as an adult. But just in a month, I've seen an improvement. I say, look, this is why you do it. It's this very gradual and incremental improvement, mm -hmm. right? And then you say, hey, this is worth the struggle. It's worth, 
you know, your own family making fun of you and calling you a teenage boy again. Well, well, the way I want to highlight how you protected yourself from yourself was where you talked to me about you could have gone with the the one the, like the one you could oh, take out. Sorry. And you no. said you said, "Well, I know I'll take it out, but if I do this, I can't do anything about it." And that goes back to what I was saying. You put your back against the wall and say, "There's no way out now." Yep. I'm 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 burning the ships behind me. I'm making sure that I'm committed full on to this. And you even told yourself there's a more aesthetic solution. There's a more convenient solution, but that's not what I want. I want one that locks me in for success, right? Yeah, it's an all-in commitment. There's no way out. Uh, and that's like when I do my training, I always do an out and back type training. Yeah, I love, I love it. Right, and so you yeah. know there's no way back. There's no way back, man. You know, I don't have a phone on me. It's just, hey, look, once I get out, you better figure it out. I've had to hitchhike home before, um, but you do what you gotta do. But yeah, on the braces, you're right. Like I could have went the Invisalign. Nobody would notice it, but I just know me and I have to just take the hard path where there's no option to take an easy way out. Not that I take an easy way out, but I like knowing I'm fully committed. There's no back yeah. path. And on that same token, Daniel, I believe like if you're going to commit to something big, post it, share it with the world. It's going to keep you accountable because it's natural for us to all doubt ourselves and say, man, this is too crazy. Why am I doing this? You know, I signed up for a race in Patagonia that I wind up doing the week before COVID hit. And I had signed up while well, I was having torn rotator cuff and torn labrum surgery. And I knew it was a four-month rehab. So I signed up for the race the night before my surgery. And that was to guarantee I did my rehab. Like mm -hmm. there was no way I could skip rehab and do an Ironman, a half Ironman, you know, a month after I was allowed to start using my shoulder again. Yeah. And I told the doctor, I said, listen, you better do your job. I'm signed up for a race in Patagonia. I'm going down to qualify for Worlds. I'm going to do my part. You better do your part. But it's just having that all-in commitment. And it gave me something to look forward to. Like every morning when I was doing my rehab, I'd look on my whiteboard and I wrote qualify for worlds and then I had Patagonia with my target time. And that's what it is, you know. You just gotta be committed. You made the board. Decisions are built around what makes the board. It's Absolutely. the simple rules. Simple rules, you start by writing out the goals, you make sure your wife is okay with the goals, and then you build your life and routine and commitments around achieving those goals. Shay, this has been a huge huge pleasure for me and a big inspiration, man. I hope we get to, to share a run or, or, a, or a race together sometime. No, don't say that. Say we are. Don't say I hope. Okay. Well, maybe I'll invite you to one of my... I don't do a lot of triathlons anymore. That's why I was a little hesitant, but I'll, I'd be willing to, to share one with you and maybe even take it up. We'll make it happen. Oh, we will. We will. Shay, thank you so much for your time today, buddy. My pleasure, brother. Thank you.